Hey, everybody. This is Brian Dodd with the Pursuit of Service podcast. Uh, welcome to this month's edition. And you are in for a real treat. Uh, Jeff and I are fortunate enough to have a friendship with a lady by the name of Jamie Pendergrass through our church. And uh, you may or may not know Jamie, but trust me, lock that name in the back of your brain and, and file it away because you will one day if you don't already. Uh, Jamie is the athletic director of Life University. It's an NAI school just north of Atlanta. And what is happening at that university under Jamie's leadership and the, her coaches and the student athletes there is just incredible. Just in the last year, they have had 14 individual national champions, four team national championships, and 57 All-Americans. This is just in the last 12 months. So this athletic program is elite. And uh, Jamie uh, oversees all that as athletic director. The facilities are expanding. Uh, it's just an incredible program. And she's been gracious enough to give Jeff and I some of her time so that she can teach us about leadership, teach us about building a program, building a culture. And, you know, I promise you, however you take notes, I know we say this every month, but this month you're going to want to really take notes and learn from one of the very, very best at what they do and one of the very best when it comes to success, achievement, developing leaders, all of those type of things, building team culture. And it's an honor for us to have Jamie and uh, let's get ready to learn from her in this month's Pursuit of Service podcast. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're really excited about this conversation. Brian and I obviously talk about leadership um, all the time, uh, all you know, every month and in between. Um, but this is exciting because we were thinking, hey, where can we where can we use an example of someone that's out there doing it, right? So Brian and I are both leaders, and we kind of have our own little lanes and things like that. But to get outside perspective of true application, I think is so valuable. So we're really pumped to have you. So you know, thanks again for joining us. Pleasure's mine. I appreciate it. Well, Jamie, we're we're just going to dive right in. It is kind of awkward because we do know you, you know, personally. <laughs> uh, so you would think that would make it easier. It doesn't. It makes it even more awkward. But yeah, just kind of give us your background. Tell us about, you know, you coming up. How did you wind up as an athletic director? How did you wind up at Life University? Just kind of tell us the Jamie Pendergrass story a little bit. Yeah, it's I, I think it's a story that kind of shows God's plans are a lot bigger than your own plans. I never wanted to be an athletic director. That was really never um, a piece of the plan. But um, I grew up middle of nowhere, Ohio, um, and I, I went to Miami University of Ohio for my college experience. And the doors that that opened up were just so tremendous, like higher education really opened my world. Um, gave me an increased breadth of understanding different people, different things. And it was, you know, that first year on a college campus, it was challenging, but I, I knew from that point forward, like my home was on a college campus. Um, and I wanted to basically um, take my experience and replicate it and um, make it other student athletes experience. So I worked with the women's basketball program for four years there um, had always been a sports fan. My knees didn't agree with wanting to be an athlete. Um, so gave up the sport, but worked as a manager for the women's basketball program. That's where I became interested in the behind the scenes piece of, of athletics and got my first full-time job at Elon university in North Carolina. And, um, just as things evolved, found my way into small college athletics, which has been extremely fulfilling and ended up as athletic director here at Life um, after my previous boss had, had moved on and he recommended me taking this job and saying yes. And that's what I did. And that's that's where I'm at today. So you came from uh, Miami of Ohio, the cradle of coaches is now I also did. the cradle of athletic directors. Then, Yeah, I did. I did. OK, so for the listeners who don't know, just give some of the coaches that have come from Miami of Ohio. McVeigh just got inducted 
yeah this past summer um so yeah there is a bunch of them in there and it's it's really interesting that they've all kind of come from the same pipeline I think it speaks to Miami University culture and who they who they bring in and who they have in front of them yeah you know interestingly there's a book coming out this fall uh on all the coaches produced by Miami Ohio really interesting so it's it's coming out I think September October it'll be in conjunction with football season so that's awesome Okay, so um, that's why that's why he had that that teaser question there. I think John Harbaugh is one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, okay, so you know, so you got you got into uh, small college athletics, came up through the ranks, so to speak. Uh, did a great job, and obviously, when your successor moved on, you just rolled right into that. Um, you've done an amazing job. And obviously, I read the stats at the very beginning, just from this year. This doesn't even count previous years or the academic All-Americans or anything like that. Jamie, from your perspective, whether you're building an athletic department, a business, church or ministry, whatever you may be in, what do you think are some of the keys to building organizational success? I mean, I think it's clarity and vision. Um, So the way I kind of set up my leadership, I think answers that question, which is the vision's out in front. Um, So any organization's got to know where they're going and it's got to be clearly articulated. Um, It's got to be defined because the people you bring on board, right? They have to be aligned. They have to be bought in. They have to have clarity in what they're doing and where they're going. So having that, I think, is a key for any organizational success. Um, And then I think what's important is I call them bumpers, but basically like I I think on either side of the vision, so the vision's out in front and you put bumpers in place and the bumpers are your valued behaviors or expectations, standards, however you choose to define those. Um, You know, you let your organization, the people within your organization, no, here, here's what we have to work with. Here's what we value. Um, but you have to give them autonomy in the middle because really, if you read about high-performing teams, it's about trust and psychological safety and ability to make mistakes and ability to try things and recover. And if you don't hire people and trust them to do um, what they were hired to do, you're not going to get max performance. So, you know, I say bumpers because as a visual, it leaves the middle open um, for you to empower people within your organization to do really great work. I'm a big fan of Jim Collins and his his books um, and the way he frames leadership, which is, you know, hire great people and, and, you know, watch them succeed. And so, but without the clarity of vision, you're not going to hire the right people. Right. And without the bumpers, they're not going to know the framework to work within. Um, But without the middle, without the middle gap, they're not going to have the autonomy. They're not going to be empowered to be their best selves. Um, So I think that's a that's a big piece of successful organizations. And then I would say, you know, the leader's job is, you know, in between those bumpers is to balance challenge and support. Um, You know, you got to challenge them. You you hungry people and people that work, um, that want to work in excellent environments. They want to be challenged, um, but they want to be supported too. And you got to find that balance. I'm just kind of geeking out right now. So I have so many questions, Jeff, dive in whenever, so I don't monopolize monopolize all (laughs) of Jamie's time. Go Uh, ahead. Okay. Let's start because I've been taking copious notes while you've been talking. Let's just, let's just chronologically walk through what you just said. First of all, walk us through Life University's vision. And here's a question I got for you. Did you come up with that, for lack of a better phrase, in a vacuum? Is it your vision? Uh, is it coming down from the president and you're helping execute it? Or did you develop it with your team? What's Life's vision and how did you come up with it? All of the above. Um, so I'm lucky to work for a president that that trusts me and, and gives me a lot of autonomy. But we developed our, our vision is to be a leading institution in performance and meaningful student athlete experience. 
And internally, we have definitions about what that means. What does leading mean? And what does performance mean? And what does meaningful mean? Um, but that vision came over the course of really three years of feedback. Um, so you're never, you know, in a bigger organization, I mean, we have like 40 people within athletic department that are always changing. You're not always gonna have the same people year over year, but we've developed it over time um, by function of, yeah, A, the university, the larger organization that we work within, B, the people that we work around, right? Um, because in order to keep really great people, like they they want to be aligned with something that they're aligned with personally. Um, but you also have to have a realistic expectation of like where you're at. Like, you know, five years ago when we really started pursuing per like excellence in performance, I don't think we were quite there yet to articulate that vision. But mm -hmm. now like we can taste it and like it's realistic and it keeps us on track. So I think timing also has a big piece to play in, in casting vision. Okay. And once again, just chronologically going through your answer, I, I love the bumpers concept and the middle of the road. Yeah. As a, you know, one thing about all leaders, regardless of what, you know, you do for a living or your area of discipline there's always that tension of, okay, ultimately I'm going to be held responsible for this. So when exactly do I get involved? You, you outlined the bumpers, but as the athletic director, you give them that autonomy. Are there triggers or is it intuitive? Or when do you as the leader know, okay, I need to kind of get in the middle of the road with them on this one. Walk through your thought process on that. Yeah. So, I mean, our bumpers, right, are what we call our value behaviors. So it's constant growth, grit, respect, and integrity. And again, I think it's really important for leaders to define specifically what those mean. I think those are pretty vague words, but we have a culture deck where there's bullet points of definition underneath each of those. So, you know, for instance, you know, there's several, like, I, I mean, just think of the data day-to-day -day life of a coach and like all the decisions that they have to make um you know there's actually you know a really good example is there's things where we could do things in the true best interest of the student athlete let's say you know the family finances the bottom fell out and when they were secure in paying their portion of tuition um, maybe the bottom fell out they can no longer pay well you know you know, what you would naturally want to do is like, oh, well, let's just supplement them with additional scholarship. But right. at the same time, we have integrity in our business deliverables and understanding that's a framework in itself. And so what do you do when like two things kind of clash where you want to help a student athlete that has had situations outside of their control, like happen to them, but you have some business deliverables and some integrity in that like that structure on the other side. And so that's where that middle comes in. And so that's where they come in and say, they're able to articulate to me like, hey, here's where I'm hung up. What do you think? And, um, you know, I'm a big, um, I, I call it, um, um, uh, I got it from the Netflix culture. Um, there's a book called No Rules Rules. Yeah. Um, it's really, really good. Um, but you know, for, um, freedom and accountability is, um, if I en empower them to make those decisions or think through them themselves, they're naturally going to know when they're in a tight spot, when they're in that middle and they need to have that conversation versus if we're not clear on the bumpers or clear on the vision, they're not actually going to even know when they need that support. If that makes sense. That makes so sense. Jeff, I will. I, I have more questions, but my friend, I want to. I want to share this time. Dive in and ask Jamie something. Don't mistake my uh, quietness for lack of attention or, or anything like that. Uh, Jamie, I love what you said a, a minute ago about trust. Um, and if we think about this framework of the bumpers in the middle and the trust, that can only exist when there's trust both ways. So even in the example that you just gave they're going to come into you with their issue and, and their perspective and looking for your guidance because they trust you. If they mm -hmm. don't, then it's never going to work. 
Um, and what it makes me think of, and I love this, and I think you're the embodiment of it, is that as leaders, we should be setting a direction and then enabling those around us to go in that direction. Too often as leaders, especially younger or newer leaders, they just want to set the direction and drag everybody that way. And that's just not a way to, what I would say in military terms, force multiply. Force multiplier basically means exponential capability beyond uh, one person. Um, so to build on Brian's question about the vision when you got there, um, talk a little bit more specifically about how you set up that culture. Because you were there for, a, it sounded like a, a time before you were uh, promoted to AD. Um, so aside from the development of the of the vision statement, is that kind of the way the culture already was? Did you have to use the vision statement to build that culture of, of you know, guardrails or bumpers? How did that progress? Yeah, that's a good question because Life University, we were in such a unique um, place and not you don't get this opportunity very often, but when I came in, I came under a former athletic director. He used to be the rugby coach. They had hired him as AD because essentially Life University, which was primarily a uh, chiropractic school, wanted to diversify and add undergrad graduate programs. Well, the small college business model is, you know, you drive revenue through tuition and tuition through enrollment. And one of the best ways to grow enrollment is to add athletics. So I would, there wasn't really much of a culture there. Like we had four teams. Um, I think there were 60 student athletes. Um, it, we were just infants in this um, game of college athletics and the one thing that I, I like, um, the previous AD, his name was Dan, a tremendous leader. And he gave us, um, he gave us like those bumpers. He said, this is the way we're going to operate. Like, these are our standards. Um, and he, he laid those out, but he didn't force that vision. Like we were too young to understand really what our potential was. And I think that's what I would kind of warn. Um, it, it, like vision is important, but I think you really want to spend time in understanding who you are, where you want to go and make sure it fits before casting a vision that, that just doesn't fit altogether. Um, so we were just growing so much, Jeff. Like, I mean, we went from four sports and 60 student athletes to 12 sports and I think 200 student athletes in like a year or two. Um, and we were so in the weeds with the, the actual operational and system side of it, because we had to build up infrastructure that, um, that vision casting wasn't the priority at that point. But once we got our feet under us and we started getting a taste of, we our, our sport program started maturing a bit. We got a taste of what, what it takes to be successful at Life University, what works, what doesn't, then we are able to craft that vision and those value behaviors much more responsibly. For instance, grit, like a gritty person works well at Life University. Um, and so we, like when I onboard potential coaches or, or staff, we talk about that. Um, and I don't, we, I don't think we could have just thrown grit out as a value behavior at the start of this. Yeah. It, it's the concept of the map in order to get to where you're going, you got to know where you're starting from. Um, so there's a lot of wisdom in that. So I'm just fascinated by this. So what year was it that there was only four teams? So I came in in 2014 and that's, oh. that's really where they started taking that direction of they, in 2014, they hired, Dan to become AD and he's, they just said, grow athletics. Yeah. So that's, Dan I brought mean, me, yeah. Dan brought me on in an administrative role. Cause I had that um, compliance academic support. I had that yeah. background from Elon and now we're at, you know, 23 teams and 650 student athletes, which is just insane in what eight years. Well, so. we're talking yeah, eight years and you have more national champions than you had yeah, we've been fortunate. <laughs> yeah, we were fortunate. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of entrepreneurs are listening to this. And help us in the creation of something. Okay. So you're in a meeting and you say, I want to have a wrestling team. 
I want that to be one of our growth engines. I want us to create a wrestling team. How does that go from concept to actually having a wrestling team? A lot, of, a lot of people have a lot of great ideas for launching a ministry or something within a ministry or a new business. How does how does it go from con, from mental concept to your now? Uh, you know, one of the ladies that we were at, a, Jeff and I had the privilege of attending in a recent awards dinner, and one of your female wrestlers is joining the WWE. I mean, yeah. so in that short period of time, it's gone from that to that. How how do you create something like you're talking about? Well, it's funny you mentioned entrepreneurship because most of the books I read are really business type books because there's so many similarities. But so, you know, in, in the, I think the starting point has changed a bit from when we started adding sports. It was just, it was about adding sports really quickly. Um, we wanted to do it the right way, but it was a much different strategy than it is now because now like we're bringing on two new sports next year and we really put in a lot of thought into making sure they're the right sports and that we can become successful because that's part of our vision. Our vision isn't to just have sports and have them be mediocre. It's that they end in championship experiences. And so we look at, right, so we start sports from a revenue standpoint, like, so you like look at return on investment. So for instance, Let's talk about a sport we don't have, which is golf. Okay. We don't have golf because, I mean, a Metro course isn't cheap. Um, a golf roster is relatively small compared to most other rosters. Mm -hmm. um, but your overhead, your operational budget, your coach salary is still very similar versus, you know, what we did decide to add was men's lacrosse, which you're getting a roster of 30 to 40. We already have the field. We're not renting it. Um, and so the return on that investment is much higher because you get the revenue from more rostered student athletes. You're not paying to go off campus and run a facility. Um, we already have some of the infrastructure here. Um, so that was, that was kind of the thought process, but also you're looking at other like tangential things such as, um, who are you playing? So what teams are regional? Because you can't spend an arm and a leg traveling, you know, four states over to play. Um, so there's some sports just that doesn't fit because we there's just not a lot of teams in our region that play. What's our conference alignment going to be? So again, if our vision is championships, like performance, um, we want to make sure that we're in a conference because conference is how you get the automatic qualifier to get to the national tournament. Um so there's a lot of moving pieces and then, and you look at other things, like I think the, maybe on a third level is just, is this a good place where a good region where you can get a good coach or, um, you know, is there, is, is it a big high school sport around here? So we're adding women's flag football next year, which in general, there across the NAIA, there's not as many women's flag football teams. It's an emerging sport. However, it's growing wildly popular in Georgia high schools. So that's where it's like, well, we might have to travel a bit further on the front end until the sport grows more NAIA, but we're going to get in on the front end from the local scene, from a recruiting standpoint um, versus some other sports. You just don't see a lot of Georgia participation. So there's a lot of factors, but ultimately, like, that's my job is, you know, to make sure that all factors are considered, um, that you can make pretty calculated predictions on how it will turn out. And then the biggest piece is like hiring the right person to lead the program that can make or break you. And it's similar to any like entrepreneur, it, you know, if you're making your first hire in a small business, like, that could seal your, you know, potential growth for several years, or it could detract you. And so the people you hire is just, is so, so critical. You mentioned something earlier, a term I'd never heard before. And let's just be honest, maybe I'm not reading the right books. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, the Netflix book was written by Aaron Meyer and Reed Hastings, and it is outstanding. It's a great book, but you mentioned the term culture deck. Mm -hmm. what is a culture deck? How did you create it? And how does that impact day-to-day decision-making? 
So I got, I, that's from the, that book. Um, it's the, I don't know if this wouldn't be like the Google definition, but it's basically like a concise way to describe your culture. Um, it's not in paragraph form. It's very, um, bullet point ish. It is clear. It is to the point people should be able to read it and understand your organization. Um, versus if you don't have anything in writing, right. It's, it's what people say. Um, it's hopefully what you experience, but it, to me, like I'm a big person. That, like, if it's, if it's not written down somewhere, it, it's it's hard to actualize. And so for us, it was putting it down on paper, putting bullet points to it, defining it. Um, I think some people get lost when they like cast their vision or they put in a vision statement. I think the piece that gets lost sometimes is they forget to define it. Right. Um, because and it's same with values, right? Like like we we tend to pick values that in by nature like are vague. Uh, um, again, like you know, one of ours is integrity. But like integrity can mean so many different things to so many different organizations. So define what that specifically means. And because that's what gives your organization the, the bumpers. Yeah. Yeah. And th the next step of that is to have it published, like you're saying, write it down, have it visible for people to see and then live it. Live it. Yep. Know, if you're not living it, then it's just empty. Uh, just observationally, uh, when we were at the, the banquet, so, uh, Jamie was kind enough to invite and host Brian and I at their athletic banquet recently, which was a phenomenal experience and just where the excellence was on, on display. It was awesome. Um, but observationally, here's a question for you. What percentage of your student athletes are graduate students versus undergrad? I would say we only have like maybe five to 8% are DC students. So our chiropractic students, we might have okay. an additional 5% like graduate students. Um, we have a few master's programs, but the majority are undergrad. Okay. All right. Um, well then I observed incorrectly because it seemed to me on the stage, I was like, man, some of these folks look like they're either a little bit older. There's one or two that are older or based on their speeches of what they said, I, I gleaned that they're in the DC program. And I got to tell you, I had this thought. I was like, well, I never used my college, my athletic eligibility. Is there a degree I could get at life and go, <laughs> go walk yeah. on to a team? That's how inspired I was at, at your banquet. I was like, man, <laughs> how do I become a part of this? And that's what you want, man. Man, how can I, how can I get in on this? Back yeah. to business. Yeah, but Jeff, I'm sure their cross country or their track team has cross country. You're the man. So yeah, if you ever start a triathlon team, give me a call and give me a scholarship. By the way, very, very low cost. You have plenty of road and no equipment yeah. except for except for the bike. Yep, you're right. <laughs> Back to business. So when we were talking about entrepreneurship, you said, you know, really what can make or break you is that first hire or that hire for that program. How do you evaluate coaches? Um, and, and basically determine if they're going to fit your culture, because clearly you've done a good job of it with, with the success that you've had. Yeah. And I, I just give all the credit, um, to the staff in general. I don't, we don't, not to forget like our support staff, you know, our athletic trainers and our admin and stuff, but coaches really are like, are the engines to any athletic department. And so over time, like I've really honed in on three major things. They have to be a good CEO, like especially small college athletics, the head coach is doing everything. So you can't like as a in small college athletics, you, you can't hide behind it, your support staff. Like you don't have a, you know, broad enough support staff to hide behind. So they have to be um great at budgeting they have to be great at fundraising they have to be great at recruiting they have to be great at practice planning they have to be good. like they just have to be good at everything so a good ceo and also by ceo i mean somebody that truly owns their responsibility um coaches that have a business mindset are are just you're lucky to have them um because you they you want a coach who treats their team as their business. Um, so then the second thing is recruiting. They have to be a good recruiter. It is just the lifeline of any program. Um, that can mean a lot of things. Um, you know, I have some coaches that are just really good recruiters because they are so charismatic and they are so likable and they are just a magnet for talent. People will just run through a wall, um, in order to, 
compete for this coach. I have other coaches that are just really, really great at recruiting strategy. So they have like deeper um, strategies when it comes to like putting feelers out, what tournaments they're going to, like who they're reaching out to. It's just, it's a little bit more uh, methodical. So I'm not saying a particular type of recruiter works better, but you got to be good at whichever way you pick. And then the third is like, you have to be aligned. Like when you come, I think to work for life university and particularly myself, like you have to be aligned with that vision. Like we spent a long time developing the vision. We buy into the vision. We believe the vision. We talk about the vision. We talk about the values. So you should be aligned with them or else we're going to continually butt heads. Um, you know, I'll just, you give it you an example, like on, you know, the interview, I give them straight up our business deliverables, what their scholarship is, what their budget is, what their, um, like coaching, um, like, um, stipends are, um, our assist. We don't go very deep from an assistant coaching perspective, which are a lot, like sometimes red flags. Um, we're not wealthy in a lot of those areas. Um, but I tell them, I want you to own this, um, knowing this, and I want you to accept this job knowing this versus if I hide it from them and then they come in on day one and they're shocked by it. Like we're not spending our time arguing about your scholarship rate every single day. Like we have to be aligned and the coaches I just have right now are just like so fantastic. It is, it amazes me what they walk through the door and the things that they think about, the things that they care about, the things they, everything's done with the best intentions. They have a servant, you know, heart, like it's, it's just great. So I'll just ask this cause once again, it's something I'm interested in. Do you long for the day that you would have an unlimited budget or do you happily embrace constraints? Um, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I, am, we always embrace constraints because I think that's part of the fun, honestly. Like, yeah. Um, that's what we work against every single day. Um, I actually tell, I tell coaches all the time, like, it does, like I, if you could ask me for 20,000 more dollars in your budget and I could give it to you and a month later, you're still asking for more. So, um, I don't like, it's not fun to necessarily be sweating things all the time. Um, I'm not implying that we're in that position, but right. My point is, is that we try to make things um, manageable and comfortable because we want to provide a good student athlete experience. I don't want my coach to be stressed about, so stressed about budget that they're feeding our student athletes fast food on the road. Yeah. Right. But I'm happily embracing the constraints of um, asking my coaches to prioritize where they spend their budget because that's what we all need to do. So I think prioritizing is fair. Um, they need to take feedback. They need to understand their landscape and prioritize their budget, but I don't want them to be so stressed that they're making poor choices that reflect poorly upon the student athlete experience. And that's, I think the middle road that we try to balance. Yeah. You know, you, you, you referenced it. So I'm going to ask you a very broad question. Okay. Um, you know, you talked about, Hey, you can't do this on the road, you know, this kind of thing. Really unpack for us, Jamie, because I know it's it's one of your passions. It's where your heart's at. Unpack for us the value of small college athletics, because, you know, let's be honest, the average lay person out there, all they see is power five and really the best of the best of power five. You know, so even within power five, it's a select group. Uh, you know, the value of small college athletics. Talk to us about that. So I. I really, as time wears on more and more, and we see the changing landscape of especially division one athletics, I, it's like, I feel like we're at the power five level, you're really talking about entertainment in a lot of, in a lot of forms and small college athletics is so interesting to me. It's a completely different business model, but the reality is, is that we drive revenue to the institution um, in a different way than maybe division one, but we still drive that revenue. Um, but we exist to use sport as a vehicle for getting young men and women in education. Um, 
so we're seeing student athletes who might not have ever attended college um, if it wasn't for a coach picking them up on the recruiting trail and inviting them to campus and showing them that, you know, a degree is a possibility. And in the meantime, they can continue playing their sport. And I think small college athletics is just at the heart of that entire premise, um, which is do this thing that you love, continue playing the sport, learn the lessons that sport teaches you and get an ed education, um, along the way, um, and it's just, it's really fulfilling. Um, it's the talent level. We still have some incredibly talented student athletes. You know, you reference Peyton Presson, who is our three-time national champion. She went undefeated her entire career. She had an NIL deal with WWE. Like, I mean, I could name 10 other student athletes that were just a joy to watch. We have some talented student athletes and they're just, they're here for the same reasons as, you know, a student might go to Kennesaw State to play. Um, it's just, this is the level that spoke to them and this is the environment that spoke to them and it's incredibly valuable and we can change lives no matter what level we're at. All right. Jeff, what question do you have, my friend? Because there is a big elephant in the room question that I'm kind of saving for last, so. Well, I was just soaking in what she just said. So yeah. um, here's one for you, Jamie. Who are some uh, ADs around the country that you look up to and admire and strive to be like? Who Who are your kind of models that you that you pursue? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting because as you meet uh, your colleagues or as you're taking information and, you know, you know, I meet more colleagues on our like NAI level, maybe the D3, D2 level, or if you're hearing from ADs at the D1 level, it's picking and choosing like different parts of different ADs that you like and you can pick up from. Um, I've always admired like Heather Like at Pittsburgh. Um, I think she's done a really good job there and I admire her because um, they've really increased their performance across a lot of sports, which is what we're trying to do at Life University. We're not trying to be good at one or two. We're trying to be excellent at all of them. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of ADs across the NAIA that I just feel like they've done such a good job embracing the constraints of small college athletics and making something out of it. And they're always happy to share what they learn. They don't hold things um, close to their chest. They share and they admit failure. Um, I've most of my mentors, I would say, are are like not ads necessarily. They're more community members and and, and business people. And um, and I don't know if that's I don't I'm not sure if I could tell you why that is. Um, but well, probably because there's just not a lot of ADs laying around, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, part of it might be right too, because it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a time constraint or whatever. It's like not very often. I mean, I just like, Hey, like, there's not a lot of like ADs, like in the area, right? Like you're going to have to drive. Yeah. It's a little bit different than high school. Like you don't have a ton of ADs like right in your pocket. Right. Um, but I, I have a handful that I would call on if I have an issue, um, and I need their advice on. And I think the one, the ADs that I admire are the ones that are always willing to pick up the phone, um, express empathy, not defend, mm -hmm. like they, like, oh, I've been through this. Like, I hear you. Like, here's how I help without judgment. Yeah. Um, I think this is a business that's competitive, inherently competitive. And so sometimes you just meet other ADs that it's like, they don't want to show you their cards because they don't want you to like learn from them and like take it. Yeah. Yeah. With it. Scarcity well, mentality. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I, I can definitely understand why some of uh, the people you may model yourself after or look up to are in the business world, because a lot of stuff you've talked about creating culture, setting, you know, establishing values, working within a budget, you know, launching new programs, things of that nature. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we could have easily exchanged the term life university for an accounting firm, you mm -hmm. know. 
Yeah. Uh, Jamie, the question I'm going to ask you now um, is just, I'll be totally honest with you, pure ignorance on my part. And you may say, Brian, you don't have all the facts. And so I'm asking this as a learner and a person with an open hand. The image of athletic directors is usually male. And you are you are obviously a female. So um, number one, is that image accurate? Because I'm I may be even asking from a false premise. Uh, but if it is, have you experienced any challenges as a as a female coming up through what was traditionally predominantly a, probably a male dominated world? Uh, you know, what challenges have you seen? What opportunities have you seen? Has that even been any type of topic or issue or anything like that as you've been building your career as an athletic director? No, it's a good question, Brian. I, you're not wrong in that statement. It is predominantly male. Um, it's growing a bit, but I mean, you're nowhere near even a quarter of ADs being female. Um, I, you know, it's interesting I get asked this question every, every once in a while. And it's, there's been some funny things that have happened, like that. I just laugh at, um, the, one of the earlier, like welcome to being a female in college athletics moments was I had actually, I was on the road at a conference meeting and I had, my daughter was, I don't know, not even like three months old. So I had my daughter with me um, so I was breastfeeding, like, um, so she came on the trip with me and, um, I go to go into breakfast into our like hotel, like room conference room where they were serving breakfast and having the meeting and the attendant outside the door, like wouldn't let me in because they said this was for ADs only. And I'm like, I know that's where I, I know. I know. Thank you. And they're like, no, your breakfast is over there. And they pointed to the buffet. <laughs> but I have a lot of grace because like I was carrying an infant, which is like also not <laughs> normal either. So I had a whole lot of grace in that situation um, or gave a lot of grace, I should say. But like it was my first like, but I get it because they were all males and none of them had kids. And I was and I was relatively I was a lot, lot younger than I was now than I am now. And so it was probably awkward, but it was. Yeah, it's just that's not what you get a lot. Um a lot of times I'll answer my phone and they'll be like, can I speak with the AD? And I'll be like, yes, this is Jamie. Also, I don't have an administrative assistant. So <laughs> Other small college athletics things, but, and they're like, no, I am the AD. And they're like, no, can I just speak to him directly? I'm like, no, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my name's Jamie, which can go both ways, male and female too. So I get a lot of like, thank you, sir. But um, like, I truly haven't been like a I think there was maybe one time that I truly felt like offended, but it's just like, I think it's taken the punches as they come and, and you can laugh or cry. And I just choose to laugh. And um, yeah, it makes it for some good stories sometimes. Well, if you do get offended, you have the ultimate Trump card. Just go look at my trophy case. Well, and I, I didn't want to say that, but like, I, I mean, over the years, it's just become easier to speak up just because I, I think there's some natural credibility that comes with the, having an institution that's more nationally prominent, right? Like, and I don't say that in an arrogant way at all. It, it's just, it's a natural um, progression. And I say the same things with coaches, right? As coaches become more successful, they get chosen for leadership roles such as ratings or um, conference chairs or um, on national committees. And when you've become successful at a level, then you just have a bit more credibility when you speak up. Um, so that's pretty natural. Okay, Jeff. So my last question for you is what's, what's next or what's your future? What are your goals? What are your dreams and aspirations? And I don't mean like a, Hey, when are you going to leave life and do something else? But what what are your aspirations personally? Yeah, I have a really um, I don't, boring answer to that. And I answer the same a lot, which is wake up tomorrow morning and go to work. Like, mm. because I am just hungry every day when I wake up to like do better. Um, I mean, that's one of our value behaviors is constant growth. And so um, while we have like, 
like long-term goals, right? Like increase the number of our student athletes that are experiencing championships, increasing those sort of things and academic goals that we have. And um, there's some different, you know, personal goals that I have, but ultimately, like if I spend too much time, it's, it's like the journey versus the, you know, outcome, right? It's like, I choose to intentionally focus on the journey which is waking up every day and being grateful that I have a profession that I'm passionate about and, and going from there versus getting too far ahead of myself. Um, I don't want to be working and ignoring the, the, the journey. So, yeah, I, I think for all the listeners, I mean, Jamie's just given us basically an hour of absolute gold. That was gold right there. I, I remember Bill Belichick, I don't know what it, Super Bowl he's won. I mean, he's won two as an assistant and six as a head coach. And they ask him in a press conference, you know, one of the following years, hey, you've won this many Super Bowls and you've done this. What's next for you? And he goes, I'm hoping to have a good practice today. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and how do you wind up with 14 individual champions and four team champions and 57 All-Americans in a year? Yeah, today we hope to have a good practice. That's our well, goal. My my track coach, who's just a phenomenal coach and human being, he so he just won his second straight outdoor national championship um, about a month ago, and he afterwards, you know, I give him a hug, and I was I was out there in Indiana, and you know his his re- reply is like, got lucky this meet, you know, <laughs> because you know track is a game of points and. You know, we didn't drop the, we dropped the baton in the indoor, in the indoor championship, dropped the baton in the last event. We were national runner up. If we didn't drop the the baton, we would have won another team national championship. Um, and then in the outdoor meet, we didn't drop the baton, you know? And so I think I really love his perspective. I learned a lot from him because he, for him, it's just like, we got, we got lucky today. We performed well and, and we were lucky to come out on top, but like, that's not going to change the way he approaches the next day. You know, he goes to practice. Yeah. I saw a baseball coach who lost the world series and they lost like four games to one, you know, most people would consider it a blowout. And he goes, you know, in one of those games, uh, we had, we had what would have been a triple that would have scored three runs. It was six inches foul. Yep. Six inches was the difference. And then in this game, you know, another one of those, one second here, two seconds there, the the margin between victory and defeat is is razor thin. And, yeah, luck and good fortune and serendipity and God's blessing and all those terms, yeah, they do play a major role in success and failure. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I think that's the psychological safety, too, that, you know, high-performing teams have which is a rational like um, understanding of um, luck and preparation and how all that factors in Um, so you know our our highest performing teams you know we set a benchmark for like even on a bad day you know we would get you know no less than x place nationally but on a good day, we could win it. And it's really setting up realistic expectation of understanding, like, some days just aren't your days. Um, but we've prepared enough to that the floor is X. Um, that's another interesting concept I just learned about raising the floor versus, you know, raising the ceiling. But, you know, what's the floor? Even on a bad day, we'll, we'll perform here. But on a great day, when we're performing well and we have luck, you know, we could win it all. And that's a really exciting place to be is to know that on a good day, like, yeah, some pretty special things can happen. You know what Colin says about luck, don't you? What's that? So this is in great by choice. Uh And uh, basically studies have indicated that everybody has the same amount of good and bad luck. The, the difference between really successful people and unsuccessful people is what do you do with the good and bad luck? Sure. The amount of good and bad is going to even out. It's what you do and how you handle both that determine your long-term success. Well, and I think Jim Collins is the one that talks about who luck too. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I would say, you know, like in particular, I get asked about my wrestling programs a lot because they're so successful. I have two of the best coaches in the entire country. And they ask like, how'd you get good at wrestling? And it's like, I had a bunch of who luck. Like I hired mm -hmm. some crazy good coaches, like, <laughs> like and sometimes you, you're lucky with that. So, well, that's true. But if you haven't built, like we've talked about the culture and the organization or the, and the vision to facilitate those, then it's sort of for not anyway. Uh, and speaking of Collins, you know, he likes the, he uses the term that we all aspire to of a level five leader. Jamie, I think you embody that. And I think you demonstrate that as a level five leader, everything from, you know, using terms like psychological safety or, you know, I, I'm going to get better tomorrow. And that's my focus. Those are marks of a leadership expert. And I don't mean like a leadership author, but someone that's practically applying it in, in real time. And then to concepts like trust and um, really empowering was a word you used. Those are all marks of a level five leader. So congratulations on that and your success. And, and right. thanks again for taking, taking the time with us this afternoon. Yeah. It means a lot coming from, from you and, and Brian, I, love having you guys in the community and as partners in this leadership journey as well. So. Well, thank you for everything you're doing. And, you know, just as one of them leadership authors, you know, we're all a dime a dozen, you know, us <laughs> leadership <laughs> authors. <laughs> There's probably some stuff from this uh, time together that might appear in a book one day in the future. So we'll see. <laughs> I can't wait to read Jamie's book one day. Oh, uh, that is on my bucket list. Me writing too. a book and doing a TED talk on my bucket list. So I'm looking no, I can't, I can't speak to the TED talk, but a book is just an hour in the morning for six straight months and you got your book. Yeah, I'll do it someday. Okay. Well, thanks again. And uh, Jamie does it. So to all the listeners, remember, serve others, not as a task, but as a purpose.